Hello, everybody, and happy Monday. Welcome back to the show. It's Maddie and Ethan with another episode of the Vine to Mind podcast. And on this episode of the show, Maddie and I are going to be talking about maturation. More specifically, we are going to be talking about oak. We hope you enjoy. It's a little hot. Yeah. But you know what else is happening? No idea. Bud break! Have you seen what's going on in France <laughs> with all this frost? Okay. Yeah. You're not kidding. It's almost like Christmas time out there. It looks like luminaries. I know. I can imagine how long it takes to blow out all those candles. And little those, smudge pots. I mean, the ones I've seen up in like in Chablis with, it basically looks like there's a candle in every, like every other foot mm-hmm. and it's in every row. Now... A main concern for us out here that has been happening in the last few years, of course, and everybody knows this, are the fires. And a big concern is not necessarily like your vineyard burning, but the smoke from the fires right, nearby, right. you know, getting into your into your grapes and then making a wine that smells like an ashtray, which is not very tasty. I mean, I myself love a Cabernet Sauvignon, just like you, Maddie, that smells like a nice tobacco, but not an ashtray. There's a big difference between that. With that amount of candles, do you think there's some kind of concern with the the smoke at all? I don't know. You can't help but think. Maybe. I mean, it's like a little baby. You know, it's just breathing in all that smoke. Can't be good. Well, sometimes Chablis has a little bit of like a flinty character anyway. So maybe that'll just kind of, I don't know, emphasize that. Who knows? But regardless, it's pretty crazy what's going on over there. If you guys haven't followed it recently, it's kind of too soon to know. They're probably going to, it's going to take a few more weeks before they're really going to be able to assess the damage. But there's been a lot of frost in France, especially in Burgundy. So, um, I mean, really hoping for the best out there. That's, that's rough. Yeah, they're saying this is probably the worst frost they've experienced in the last, like, what, two decades? At least, decades? I think so. So, but at least here in Napa, it's been beautiful lately. Um, I, you know, there's those windmills have been going off just about every morning. Uh, so hopefully we're mitigating all frost here, but uh, it's kind of a scary time. You're kind of on edge the whole time. But regardless, uh, it makes me super excited for this next vintage. I think it's going to be a good one. I hope so. That's just me staying positive. <laughs> Every morning when I drive up, uh, you know, St. Helena Highway, and I see those those beautiful hot air balloons that are just flying over me as I'm driving through these valleys, I just just, you know, you gotta you gotta stay hopeful. You gotta stay hopeful. I am concerned about my Mersos because, <sighs> you know me, and I don't want them to go through frost damage. I mean, what could, what would I do? I, I guess I'm not drinking wine with you enough. I don't know. I, I guess we'll just have to drink some <laughs> aged ones, I guess. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Good compromise. So, Ethan, should we get into the oak conversation today? Yeah, we might as well. Might as well. I feel like we could just really go down the rabbit hole. When you and I started reading more about this, it was like never ending. There's so much to know about oak. There, I mean, I feel like I, uh, I'm i like part lumberjack now, just based <laughs> off like reading about like how it's grown, <laughs> how it's cut down, and everything that plays into it. And I think... Again, that's such a wonderful part of the wine and spirits industry because I think we're going to discuss a little bit about spirits today as well because, you know, spirits are, you know, especially whiskey and brandy are aged in some type of wood a lot of times in oak barrels as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's a pretty fun part about this industry is that, you know, we're talking about distilled or fermented beverages, but then we're learning about trees, isn't it funny? I know. I, little did I know when I was younger that I would know so much about grapes yeah. and trees. 
just what like an expert now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know, it was not always Oak. Before we get into the Oak conversation, I think it's going to be fun to put this into reference. You know, let's go back to the beginning of winemaking. You know, we're going back to like six or 7,000 BC. They were not putting their wine in oak barrels. Uh, in fact, typically most of the wine was consumed young. It wasn't meant to be aged. But back in actually in Georgia, they found ancient remains of these really large clay vessels I mean, these were large. They could hold hundreds of liters of wine, and they would actually store them partially underground because there was no temperature control, obviously, at this point in time. And so this was like, you know, so to speak, their cellar, right? And so they would actually put all the grapes, they would even be able to stomp on them and make their wine and ferment it halfway underground and then scoop out the wine. And that was what they used at the time, which was pretty wild. I know some of you are probably thinking right now, this is uh, the Republic of Georgia, not like Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> Just want to put Fair. that in the reference there too. So I mean, you never know. You never know. They probably were. I mean, you kind of think about it. There were a lot of wild grapes grown in the United States, just not the same grapes that we use for winemaking. These were more like the the Vitis Labrusca, the grapes, you know, the ones you typically eat. Mm -hmm. But the Native Americans, they had to have been making wine. And I think it's funny because you read the history of winemaking and a lot of it was just based off of a mistake and they really drank wine and beer for the most part because they couldn't drink the water. The water was unhealthy. There was a lot of bacteria in it. Also, wine and beer helped supplement people that were uh, malnutritious. So they actually were saving some lives, which is pretty funny. But I just like if I had a time machine, it's probably uh, maybe the first thing I do with it. I don't know. But I would love to go back in time to that one moment where someone finds this like mashed up thing of grapes and they, they decide to drink it and they're like hey hey this is pretty good <laughs> well i'm feeling even better after <laughs> seven thousand plus years later you and i are having a podcast about it so <laughs> yeah that would be kind of fun to go see yeah i'm sure that was a, a good time i'd be kind of wild if that was your form of nutrition it is for me too. I guess that, that is fair. It is true. It is true. Um, but okay, so that was way back when. That you know, that's you know, six thousand BC or whatever. Let's go back to Roman times now. So they were still using ceramic vessels for the most part, and these were called amphora, and these were actually these long cylindrical you know, ceramic pieces with these little handles on the top. And so essentially there was a smaller opening on the very top so they could put a top on there and it wouldn't oxidize quite as quickly as it would when these giant ceramic vessels that they were using prior. Mm -hmm. And also they were able to put these on ships and whatnot. And these amphoras were used for quite some time during this era, but they quickly realized that they get pretty heavy. They're kind of hard to lug around and they can also break kind of easily too. So we're all pretty familiar with how the Romans kind of spread everything throughout Europe during this time, during the Roman Empire. And of course, they always have to have wine with them. And most of their wine they were using, of course, as I mentioned earlier, for nutritious values for the mm -hmm. soldiers. Also, that whole liquid courage thing that I know we've talked about in the past where you, you give your soldiers some wine, they're more likely to run to the middle of a battle for you. So it seemed to work out. They were using, and they were trying so hard to use palm tree wood so interesting their <laughs> barrels but it's like almost impossible to shape and bend and they were having a pretty tough time with that so they kind of stuck with the clay um, until they encountered the gauls and the gauls were actually um, pretty famous for making beer and they would store their beer in barrels that were made out of their native wood which was oak and a lot of it was actually white oak the romans quickly realized this is easy to bend has a tighter grain 
less leakage. So guess what they started aging their wines in or storing their wines in, of course, because most of the time they're storing it just for transport into these oak barrels. And these oak trees were planted all throughout Europe too. So that was a Mm -hmm. great tree for them to use. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I feel like a lot of times they were just putting them in these barrels just so the people on the ship had something to drink while they had their voyage too. Don't blame them. I mean, you're at sea for all those weeks. Like got to do something pastime. It's pretty funny how like back then it was only used for really transport. And nowadays we're kind of, you know, when we do our blind tastings or evaluating wine, we're like, Oh, was it aged in oak? Now oak <laughs> is such like a component to wine. We don't kind of think of it as like it's something to store your wine in. Sure. But that's all it was used for back then. Sure. And I think they, I mean, the Romans realized that after time and after doing this for quite, you know, decades and hundreds of years, they realized well, the wine actually tastes a little different. It's actually kind of nice. And to this day, you're right. Now wineries will spend a good, good chunk of change on brand new barrels. And one thing I think that's really important to point out as we're getting into this conversation is that to this day, out of all the wine made in the entire world, only about 10% actually sees an oak barrel. That's crazy. And like 99% of whiskey and brandy <laughs> sees an oak barrel, Fair. which is funny. It's like quite the opposite. But it's, um, you know, go back to what I was saying earlier with that, the first person to find that fermented grape juice. Mm-hmm. Imagine the, fir- can you just think of the first person that tasted a wine out of that oak barrel and they're like, oh snap. This we did something. This stuff's good. Yeah. And I wonder how the charring thing came to fruition. We couldn't really find any information on that, but like, do you think something got burnt once? <laughs> they're like, let's just store a wine in there anyway and it tasted really perhaps, good perhaps perhaps also knows? it's kind of common knowledge you know if you like toast the herbs you like if you're going to cook with them like all of a sudden the aromatics come out too so that's true Very they might true. have realized that you're pretty smart maddie but uh i don't know i don't know who knows so at this point let's kind of talk about the oak species because okay. they obviously started using oak way back when right but we're still using it to this day. And there's a reason for that. Now, of course, you might see redwood or acacia, maybe even chestnut from time to time, but there's a reason that oak has been so consistent over the years. Oak is lightweight. It's relatively easy to work with. Uh, It holds in liquids well, so it's not very porous. And it's also very durable too. So you're able to form it into these barrels and they're not going anywhere, right? These barrels, once they're formed, they're pretty much there for the long haul. The species that we use for oak barrels for winemaking is called Quercus. And there's there's about 300 plus species of oak found in this world. But there's only really a few that are appropriate for the production of wine barrels. Some, however, they can be a little bit tougher, more rugged, and they're not really suitable to be cut into staves. Now, they grow and they respond to their terroir just like grapes do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ideal climate that you want for your white oak, uh, for your quercus, um, it's going to be a cool, drier climate and you do not want good soils. You want a poor soil. Again, see these similarities with wine growing here? Because you want to slow down that growing process so they have a tighter grain and they have more rings per inch per se um, just to make a, a more durable, tighter less leakage, less problematic oak barrel. Sure. And that makes so much sense too. And that's why there's forests in specific areas too. Exactly. And here in the United States, we have our specific forests. Same goes for France, Eastern Europe and whatnot. But you had said that you want, you know, all this, the growing process to be spread out over a long period of time. Exactly. And I think that is crazy to see how long it actually takes for these trees to grow. Um, Honestly, probably longer than our lifetimes. For American oak, it's... Like 80 years. 80 years. Okay, I hope... 
we can live to 80, but for, for, <laughs> for French oak, we're looking at around 100 to 200 years for these trees to fully mature before they're harvested. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. And, you know, for French oak barrels, you know, think 200 years to grow, and then they're only big enough to make like two barrels out of it, which is just absolutely wild. And real quick, just kind of noting on the, the forest in France, because everybody knows that like according to most people when it comes to winemaking is that the more superior, the creme de la creme of oak is going to be the French oak. Those trees, for the most part, were planted to build ships, yeah. not to be used for wine. And this was actually during the Napoleonic times, um, but obviously that shifted. And now we have better uses for them. <laughs> so going back real quick to the species, and we all talked about how long it takes for these to grow. It takes even longer to make them. So the American oak, which is called Quercus alba, that grows your your neck of the woods, Maddie. Well, not Kansas per se, but Missouri, close enough. We're going down to the Ozarks for We're this. Going to the Ozarks. That's not exactly my <laughs> neck of the woods, but uh, not too far away. Apparently the Ozarks has like the perfect climate for growing American oak and it makes like the far superior, like the, the top quality American oak barrels. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. I just learned that through research. Yeah. Ozarks is a beautiful place. I think a lot of you guys are familiar with the TV show, um, but turns out they make great American oak trees as well. Yeah. They're not just known for whatever they do in that TV show. No, no. <laughs> so French oak, of course, is going to be two different species that are very, very similar. And a lot of times it's actually very hard for them to tell the difference unless there's some kind of DNA analysis for them. So that is Quercus rubar and Quercus petraea, um, which also is known as English oak per se. A lot of these forests in France, and really we're talking about five in general, are a sort of a mix of both of these. Then the next one, which I think is definitely on the rise, you're seeing it a little bit more on the market now um, in terms of using for different varieties, is going to be Hungarian oak. And mm -hmm. Hungarian oak, again, is sort of this very similar in terms of its DNA structure than French oak, um, but it's actually called Quercus frenetto. Yeah, absolutely. And you're starting to see, yeah, even, I mean, Hungarian is definitely the most well-known but it's actually, there's a lot of Eastern European countries that are starting to grow oak trees as well for the production of barrels. And typically, I feel like, like you said, you're starting to see Hungarian a little bit more so because it has a lot of similar qualities to French oak, but you don't have to pay quite as high a price. Not yet. Not yet. Who knows? I mean, everything's getting more expensive these days. So um, yeah, so those are the three that you're typically seeing on the market. Obviously, when it comes to whiskey, bourbon, you're using American oak right? Exactly. But when you start looking at a lot of fine wine, obviously it's subjective, but a lot of wineries are going to be focusing on the use of French oak. And we're going to get into the characteristics here too. But before we do that, let's talk about how these barrels are made. Because I've always known, okay, yes, oak barrels are expensive. I don't really know exactly why, but I have such a greater appreciation for it now that I actually realize what goes into it. It's about, what, like two years ago or so, we were mm -hmm. able to go to Demptos, which is a cooperage down in South Napa. And we were able to go on a tour there and really see how these barrels are made. And I could not believe that it was so hands-on. I mean, I feel like everything these days is so industrialized. There's yeah. machines that can do all this. But there were so many workers there who were really hard at work. And honestly, it's like, I personally am definitely not strong enough to do their job. And, um, they're around around flames this whole time too, and have these massive hammers. And it was pretty crazy. I smelled like a campfire the whole day in the best way possible. But regardless, let's talk about the harvesting of the trees first, right? Yeah. So like we said, the trees are quite old, anywhere from 80 to 200 years old, depending on the species and where the trees are grown. 
and they harvest the trees and then they let those trees sit out for what, like three years Yeah. to fully season. And they're going to sit outside and just weather. So, you know, rain, snow, what have you, that is going to be the seasoning process for this wood. They're also cut into staves, which are these slabs of wood. And then at that point, they're going to be dried out and then started to turn to be used to turn into these barrels. Yeah, the seasoning and drying process, Maddie, I mean, you mentioned like snow and rain and whatnot else touches these these woods as it seasons. A lot of that actually will affect the character of the final product too. Uh, it can release some tannin. Um, they don't season it as long. You can have like more harsh tannin. If you season it too long, you could actually lose some of those aromatic compounds out of the wood. There's so much that goes into it. Again, just adding to this whole like romantic part of winemaking that like why there's so many different wines is because all these little things tie into the process of making wine that can make it taste different than another one. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So they have all these staves, these so pretty much slabs of wood, and they use these, the rings that you see on the outside of the barrels, and they start placing them in there. And then they heat the barrels so the wood becomes more malleable. Yeah. And as they're doing this, they're forming it into the shape of the barrel. And also, once they finally have the shape down, then they have to toast the barrel too. And this is a very important part that you had alluded to earlier when we were talking. Um, toasting really releases a lot of these aromatic compounds from the wood. It does, absolutely. And this, I mean, there's many different toasts. There's a, you can actually get barrels, and this is really up to the winemaker, um, but you can get a barrel that's not toasted at all. You can get a barrel that's just having the staves toasted without the heads. You can have it with the heads toasted. You can have a medium toast. You can have a medium longer toast, which it just takes longer to get to medium. Or you can have a pretty heavy toast. For um, whiskey, you can do like, or bourbon, you can have like an alligator char where it's just <laughs> really burning on the inside. And what you're doing is you're bringing out the aromatic compounds or part of the red layer or the hemicellulose component of the wood. Now... You have these compounds released and whatever beverage, whether it's your wine, which we're you know discussing, your whiskey, your brandy, heck, even your beer, is going to act as a solvent and it's going to absorb all these aromatic compounds that are going to change the characteristics of said beverage. And there's a lot of different compounds that you actually, believe it or not, might be pretty familiar with. Um, one in particular is called vanillin. Vanillin is the aromatic compound that makes vanilla smell like vanilla. There's also one called eugenol, which is uh, adds a spice and clove character to it. Furfural, which actually provides a caramel flavor. And then one kind of controversial, uh, but it's called guayacol or 4-methylguayacol, mm. which uh, kind of talked about it earlier. It's, uh, it's the smoke chemical. It's all too familiar. Um, but that adds sort of this charred cedar or smoky aroma to your said beverage. And I, for one, you all know me, I'm a huge, huge fan of whiskeys. And whiskey has that like smoky, charred wood kind of character that a lot of other whiskey aficionados love. Sure. And I think that's why it's, you know, this comes back to the winemaker too. And this is a whole other side of the winemaking job. And honestly, and their duties when they're making this wine is because yeah. they have to decide what cooperages they're going to be purchasing from. And even from a single cooper, they're probably going to pick from several different forests and have the different toasting levels and exactly. whatnot. This is a whole other component that would really make it be integral in the wine. And I know you and I have been able to do barrel uh, programs as well. We're able mm -hmm. to taste the same exact wine in a number of different barrels and some different coopers. Some are having different toasting levels and it makes a dramatic difference in the wine. And I think 
we like to use the analogy that the oak should be the frame, right? If you have the exactly. portrait, that should be the grape, should be the wine that's shining through. And yeah. then you have this, you know, this nice frame that just accents that portrait. Exactly. We've all seen those portraits that have that gaudy, you know, thick frame <laughs> attached to it. That's not yeah. exactly ideal. So this is, you know, the spice box for the winemaker. Exactly. And that's what you want. Like you said, that's what the winemaker wants. That's what you want for your wine. You want that fruit. You want that floral characteristic to really stand out in that wine. You know, if I have a Pinot Noir, I want my Pinot Noir to smell like cherry, not just oak. The oak emphasizes that. It adds more character, more layers per mm -hmm. se to that wine. Now you get into brandy and whiskey. Honestly, it's quite the opposite. When you're drinking whiskey, you're not really necessarily looking for cherry or, or apple or pineapple. Granted, they might have some character to them. However, what gives them its true character is really its maturation in these oak barrels. So when you're smelling a whiskey or a bourbon and you're getting this honey, butterscotch, caramel, clove, charred cedar character in it, you want that. That's the forefront. So it's quite the opposite when it comes to spirits, especially brandy and whiskey. The picture is now the oak. You're so right. And the frame is really anything <laughs> else that's in that glass. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's interesting too. And when you talk about different grapes, yeah. right? So here in Napa Valley, of course, just about every Cabernet Sauvignon is going to be aged in oak barrels, yeah. right? Um, that's one of the reasons that the wine out here is typically not super cheap, right? Yeah. It just goes into the cost for this wine. Um, let alone the time that it's going to be aging. But that's why you can often, often age a Cabernet a little bit longer than some Pinot Noirs too. Not all the time, but Pinot is such a delicate, light style of wine, such a light grape that you don't need a ton of oak. You don't want to overpower some of those delicate aromas. And then we also go to white wines because obviously we know some white wines are also aged in oak barrels. Um, you know, of course, Chardonnay, some Sauvignon Blancs, so you have some Viognets as well. We'll see their time in oak. But not all of it is going to be new oak, too. Exactly. And that's a whole other subject as well. Um, because when we say new oak, new oak refers to the very first use for that barrel. But they say after you've put any liquid in there, especially wine um, or spirits or whatever, what have you, that 90% of what that barrel has to offer is already used up. That's crazy. It's like we're using a tea bag. That's crazy. Yeah. So then, you, but you'll actually, it adds a nice kind of dimension if you want to use, you know, say 20% new oak and mm -hmm. then 80% used oak barrels. So you don't have a super, you know, slap in the face, a ton of oak hitting you right away. And you bring up a good point. Like why would we use a barrel that doesn't have any of those aromatic components? Well, barrels do more than just that. Mm. Them add more layers of flavor or, or aromas to your wine or whatever beverage is aged in there. It actually softens it out. And this is especially important when it comes to wine because a little bit of oxygen is allowed, you know, to go through this barrel because I mean wood is porous. Now, white oak is not as porous as other wood, but it's still porous. It allows some oxygen in which will help soften the wine out, kind of round out the edges, add a little bit more weight and body to the wine. It will actually add a little bit of tannin too. So typically, not always, some wines that are you know, a little tannic can actually increase its tannins if it is aged in an oak barrel. Mm -hmm. And again, that depends on the type of barrel you use. Now, American oak, believe it or not, actually has less oak tannin in the wood than French oak. That's, you know, contrary to popular belief. And American oak is actually higher in lactones, about two and a half times more than French oak. 
That's why wines that are, or anything else that's, that's aged in American oak is a lot more aromatic. I know you're thinking of Rioja, those traditional Riojas that, that. Are, exactly, that are aged in those new American oak or um, Australian Shiraz or Zinfandel. Sure. I mean, it stands out. You get that beautiful coconut and dill character. Absolutely. But also, as we were reading more into this too, we found it very interesting that, you know, if American oak has been seasoned properly, it loses some of these really distinct and aromatic compounds exactly. too. So if it's been seasoned for a long duration of time, you start to lose some of this coconut aromas too. And so that's why, I mean, sometimes I'm not going to lie that some of the cheaper Riojas I've purchased because I wanted to blind you on a wine or whatever. Yeah. It is like, holy cow, this smells only like coconut. There's no fruit left on here. Yeah. And I can't help but think they just bought that barrel from a Cooper and they got a pretty good deal on it because maybe they skipped a few steps, you know, from here to there. Exactly. So we should talk about what happens after a winemaker is done with their barrels because they don't just recycle them. They end up in my backyard. They end up in Maddie's backyard. <laughs> a lot of people turn them into planters. You could turn them into, uh, you know, a nice outdoor table. You could turn them into your little bar shelf. Um, but however, a, a big market is, you know, European whiskey. You know, a lot of Scotch producers, Irish whiskey producers will actually purchase these used uh, wine barrels to age their whiskeys in them. Because a lot of times, this goes for wine and whiskey, there are laws in given reason, uh, regions that require you to age your given product uh, in oak or just in wood. Irish whiskey, in particular, is just wood, any kind of wood. But Scotch whiskey is actually aged, has to be in oak barrels. doesn't have to be new. But it could, has to be oak barrels. So a lot of times they're buying it from, you know, a wine producer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't, it's a fraction of the cost of getting it new, but still at least they're, they're going to something else than just being thrown away. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of crossover between different industries. Um, you know, you're seeing yeah, a lot of fun, you know, spirits being aged in old wine barrels. Heck, you're seeing wine aged in bourbon barrels. Same with sours and beers. There's all this crossover, um, which is kind of interesting. Honestly, yeah. something fun, something different for sure. So we've mentioned it before, but these barrels are not cheap. And that's why only 10% of all the wine actually sees an oak barrel. And so you might be wondering, well, what is all this other wine when it says it has these aromas of these different spices or vanilla, nutmeg, what have you? How is it getting that spice? And that's a great question. And actually, a lot of wineries will use oak staves. So essentially, the same pieces of wood... But instead of turning it into a barrel, you're going to skip that entire process. You get to save a lot of money. You can just buy staves and place them in the tank. You can put like a large key ring around them and it's just like immersing that into the wine. There's also oak chips or even oak dust too. <laughs> um, so there's definitely the full spectrum. And that's one of the reasons why you can still get pretty good wine and great values um, without using an oak barrel. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you're, say you want to spend a little more money and you want to buy an American oak barrel. That's going to fetch anywhere from about four to $800. So it's on the lower end of the spectrum for sure. But like Ethan said earlier, you can make around four barrels from one tree, which is, that's pretty good because when you're going to French or Hungarian, you can only make two barrels typically from one tree. And so Hungarian, yeah, it's kind of the middle ground. I would say anywhere from like six to eight or so, 600 to 800. And then finally for the French oak, that's definitely going to get you the most. And that's going to be anywhere from like 800 to 3,500. So put that in perspective, folks. Not only is it expensive to, you know, have a facility to make wine and own a vineyard, but to maintain the vineyard, harvest the grapes, hire people to pick the grapes, process the grapes, 
make the wine. And then what you do after that, if you choose to want to use an oak barrel, let's say you have a Napa Cabernet and you feel like you need to have some kind of new oak, that's a whole nother expense. And unfortunately, you're not just aging it for like a week. Right. It's going to be, you know, a lot of times like out here in Napa, the average is, I know, give or take 16 months to 26 months in between that. I mean, that's a long time. That's two years of what you're trying to make money off of, your passion project, mm -hmm. just sitting there. And then after that, it's going to sit in the bottle too. For a long time sometimes. So put that in perspective. If you're looking at a wine, you're like, oh, why is this $150? A lot of that does have to do with the oak. And then if they use a thicker glass, better corks, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. that will go into the price. And of course, marketing too, which is great. <laughs> um, so when you're blind tasting a wine and you want to determine if it has oak and which oak, some things that I like to kind of think about is, you know, if I smell a really aromatic wine that has sweet vanilla, coconut, and dill, I'm automatically thinking this has been aged in an American oak barrel. Those are the typical characteristics French oak, it's a little bit more subtle and sometimes a little bit harder to decipher if it's in a wine, and that is going to be baking spices like cloves. You're going to get a little bit of maybe espresso or even toasted cedar. For Hungarian oak, I can't really give you any advice on that one. <laughs> Best of luck. I still have trouble picking that out in a blind tasting. Uh, yeah. but They say spice sometimes, but honestly. But who knows? It's similar to French oak, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... We hope you all learned a thing or two today about maturation and how oak barrels work and why we use oak in winemaking, but I think it's time to talk about our nightcap. I think so, because I think we could sit here for another who knows how long if we don't move on now. So yeah, today we've got a fun one. We do. Ethan, you brought this one in today. We are tasting a Lodi Mission wine. Which is kind of fun because we've had some uh, amazing people reach out to us with requests or comments. And this is kind of something that has to do with uh, a last couple podcasts. You know, mm -hmm. we talked about Lodi in our last one as an up and coming on the rise wine growing region that we love. We also talked, basically, we talked about American history. We talked about the Mission Grape, um, also known as Liston Prieto. And uh, we're tasting both. So, this is a, a pretty awesome producer who makes some other pretty familiar wines out here in California. Um, he started this other smaller brand with another winemaker to kind of bring back some of these, in, you know, these these old school varieties. So this is 100% Mission Grape, and it honestly in the bottle it looks like a rosé. That's how light and color it is, but it is a red wine. Um, it goes through complete carbonic maceration. Uh, which again is just throwing the whole clusters in there and allowing the CO2 to do its work, um, produces a really fruity style of wine. And then it's aged in used neutral oak, just going back in there. If you hear neutral oak, by the way, it means used um, for about six months. And this is, it's just a fun wine. It's cool. It's interesting to say the least. No, for sure. I know you kept saying, Maddie, it's a red wine. I'm like, Ethan, look at this bottle. That is a rosé. <laughs> and I was like, we need to put a little chill on it. And then you take a sip and it's tannic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got a lot of this like medicinal character to it, like cough syrup character. And that's from that carbonic too. I kind of got that like almost that little bubblegum sensation that you sometimes get from a Beaujolais. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is an interesting grape. You know, Maddie, believe it or not, do you, I think you know this, where was the last stop Least on Prieto was in before it jumped across the ocean into Mexico or modern day Mexico? 
think you're quizzing. Is this the Canary Islands? Canary Islands, exactly. Oh, they still grow a lot of it out there, which is kind of cool. Um, there's some really awesome producers that are sort of revitalizing this grape out there. Um, we should have to find a bottle of that and try it too. Maybe next time. No, yeah. this would be fun. So, Ethan, what would you have to eat with this? Or do you even need food with it? That's a real know. question. I don't know if I would eat. You know what? I would probably drink it by itself. You know, it's getting to that kind of season, our bocce season starting so soon as well. I think it's this weekend. And I, I keep thinking of a watermelon salad with like Ooh. some mint, feta. Feta. I'll say feta or goat cheese with this would be nice. Yeah. I think even just like munching on some watermelon slices with this because it's <laughs> so juicy. It is. Um, But I, I think some kind of like herb, like a mint would be nice mm-hmm. because this is a very herbal, very interesting style wine. Sure, sure. So thanks for thanks for the recs, guys. Um, we're happy we gave this one a shot. If you guys have any other recommendations for us to try, you know, just leave us a five-star review and let us know. We're happy to. And thanks for listening, folks. We will see you uh, in a couple Mondays. Cheers. <laughs>